0: Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of The Uncommon Life Project, where I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thanks for tuning in. Man, we are grateful. If you are just tuning in for the first time, we are advisors that have a whole different view on finances. I think it's refreshing. Our clients think it's refreshing. We hope you think it's refreshing. Uh, Today is a duocast between uh, Brian and yours truly. And we're talking about a strategy that we are getting hyped up about. Long story short, if I was going to boil down our philosophy in a quick synopsis, I would say, change your mindset about how you live every day, love what you do, and then think about retiring from what you love to do. You don't do it. You just want to keep doing it. You want to keep refining it and making it better and doing it more efficient. And so we challenge our clients to not only think long-term, but short-term. What is it that you are made to do? What are the gifts God's given to you? And how can we start investing in those? Once we do, you're going to like your life a lot more. You're going to understand what you're investing in and things get a lot clearer quickly. So how'd I do?
1: I think you nailed it. Okay. I always like when you just say you are your best asset. So
0: Yeah, you are your best asset, but not a lot of people do help you invest in that asset, which is yourself. I, this is a quick, quick aside, aside. thank you. Uh, I saw on this group thing that we have, like this neighborhood thing, somebody asked, I'm starting to get more money. My husband just got a, or fiance just got a promotion. I'm looking for a trusted advisor. And you know, millions of recommendations come up, referrals and all this stuff. It's just sickening. It, it isn't sickening, it's great. Everyone thinks they have a trusted advisor and I'm not saying they're not, but there was one comment that I wanted to address. The people who are like, well, whatever you do, go with a fee only because they're most in line with your success. And I would say maybe. <laughs> and, and what I say maybe for is because are they really helping you get to your goals? Like, What if this person and her fiance decide that uh, paying off their house is their best use of their money? Go to a fee-only advisor and see how that goes. <laughs> That's my point. Yeah. You know? It's just not gonna be something that really is gonna be in line with, oh my goodness, like that's an amazing goal that you have to pay off your house. Or, hey, I wanna start a business. Go to a fee-only advisor and see how that goes. It's just they're not getting paid on their advice that they're giving you. So we have adopted a different approach where we are 100% in it for our clients' goals and objectives, and so we we do a subscription model here at Uncommonwealth, and that gets you a plan and kind of a course of action for the Mm -hmm. next year. Um, we also can do assets under management in a fee-based way. But first, we think that we have to have a good plan that we're working for. What's the roadmap? And our first questions that we ask people have nothing to do with their money. Nothing. It's really about how has God uniquely gifted you? What are you passionate about? And if you did X in retirement, what would it be? like? What would your retirement look like if you if money were no object? And then challenging people to try to figure out how to get there quicker. Um, And one thing that I don't love about these retirement plans, I'm talking a lot because at the end of this, Brian is going to talk the most. So if you're waiting to hear Brian, it's coming. But my biggest things with these retirement accounts is it puts an age band on when you can access your money, when you can move into this next phase of life, which is what everyone calls retirement. We would call time freedom. And if you really think to yourself, hey, in retirement or in time freedom, if money were no object, I'd still be doing things more proactively and be working and serving other people. I wanna talk to you. (laughs) Those are our people. Um, The people who don't know what they want or in question of where they're going, we're just not very good advisors because we can never tell people what they want, nor is that our business. Mm -hmm. So if people come with us and tell us the most specific goals, no matter how audacious they are, We love those people. We'll help you get there. So there's my commercial. I don't know if it felt like a commercial. I didn't mean it to, but I think it's important just to walk through how we get paid, what business we're building, and why I think we're a little bit different than the average person. So, Okay, but what are we talking about today? Has kind of in line with what I was talking about, retirement accounts, um, after-tax accounts, pre-tax accounts. So it kind of gets heavy. So we'll try to make it as light as possible, and we'll go from there. So, yeah. what do we talk about
1: today, Big Dog? We've got tax managed investing. Mm, what does that mean? Yes. <laughs> a million dollar question. So, there's a lot of emphasis put on building an account balance, like in your 401k or your Roth IRA or retirement account. Uh, but there's not a lot of emphasis put on building what we would call like an after tax brokerage account. Whenever you talk about kind of building wealth, you've got to talk about like, what type of an account, or the other word we use is registration. How is your account titled? So this is kind of like bank money in the sense you've paid tax on it. Typically for a husband and wife, we have a joint account with rights of survivorship is how it's titled or registered. And so then if you're investing in the market, you're taxed on short-term and long-term capital gains, uh, any dividends or interest that was paid, that type of stuff. You're taxed in the current year. It's not tax protected like your IRA or Roth. So in that, well, we have a lot of young couples that are interested in retiring sub or before 60 years old or 59 and a half where all these retirement accounts kick in.
0: I just want to reiterate that we have a lot of account, a lot of clients who are trying to retire before the 59 and a half. Yep. That's, I think, one, a huge deal because I don't even think people even can comprehend what that means. Right. They've never heard of that. They've never talked to an advisor that actually helps them this way. So we've got a lot of them and they're dominating yeah. by the way
1: and when you actually have that mindset you can't think in terms of the traditional planning because a lot of the if you're overfunding or maxing out these 401k or roth ira stuff like that money's not going to be available to you until 59 and a half mm-hmm. so this is a way to build an account balance and an after-tax account that has no age banding or strings uh but it does cost you in tax every year and so What we wanted to highlight is kind of a strategy called tax managed investing, where you still grow your money. You can still be aggressive uh, investing in the stock market, but utilizing some techniques to help mitigate that uh, year over year tax liability that you can create, especially as the balance gets built up, you know, over hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Um, it's, It's just mindfulness of your overall tax liability and how this account can play into your overall tax liability, depending on where your income is coming from. So.
0: And historically, for those savvy investors out there, municipal bonds were someplace where people would go. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole different treatment of rate of return when you're talking about municipal bonds because you don't have the tax drag, right? the tax implications that you'll have with just another account. So that's what a lot of people would do. And then they have the special calculation. What is your actual rate of return if you didn't have to pay taxes? Right. We're talking about that kind of style account but not necessarily investing in municipal bonds. Right.
1: Yeah. Investing in equities. And and the other side of that would be the, um, you know, people would buy treasuries, you know, U.S. treasuries, which is considered to be the safest investment out there just because of liquidity and it's backed by the federal government. Um, But those yields are so low. Even municipal bond yields are so low uh, that if, you know, you put a million dollars into 10 year treasuries, you're getting like one and a half, Two percent. And granted, you're not paying tax on that, but a lot of people need more than fifteen to twenty grand a year of cash flow on a million dollars. Amen. Um, and Amen. when you're looking at if you had a million dollar real estate project and you're only getting fifteen to twenty grand of rent, uh, you you got a rent, you should sell it. Problem. You
0: should sell that.
1: So that's why real estate is so popular. That's why we talk about it so much. But kind of focusing on this, so tax managed investing isn't new. It's been around for a while, but uh, I think it's gaining in a lot of popularity as you know people are more tax conscious and, um, you know, advisors are more aware of the concept. So we kind of wanted to get into today. And one of the things we're talking about too, is kind of like wealth paths, mm. uh, where are we going to plow money? You know, and everybody talks about diversification and that's great. Um, but it, there's also something to be said for concentration and doing things you understand and building a balance in one thing. And, um, you know, kind of like shooting a rifle instead of a shotgun. So we want to build like a high caliber rifle. We want to put money into one thing that's liquid, that's low fee, uh, that's tax managed and also has the upside potential of the equity market. So that's kind of what we're talking about today. And this
0: is one of the seven sources of residual income that we talk about. And I love talking about that way because it just gives people an idea of what we're talking about. Who knows what the right is for you, but I think it's important to talk to all of about all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, one of those things, investing. Yeah. Um, what do I do? How do I do it? And how do I be most efficient? So.
1: so I think in terms of our content, this is investments, and it's like we have it listed as the third source of residual income behind just savings, return on your savings, and then real estate, just because most people, you know, own a home, um, and then you know you start investing from there. So uh, this is the third source of residual income, and uh, you know, let's jump into it. So basically, what a lot of the research shows is that. You know, there's a massive tax drag. Like, if you're invested in mutual funds, for say, I'm going to pick on American Funds today, just for the sake of our show. And before we jump jo- jump in anymore, good point. Was, uh compliance? Um, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results. So, we are talking about investments, and you do have the ability to lose money. And none of this stuff is guaranteed, and so there's this comes with risk. So, uh, we do have compliance and disclosures on the podcast. But I wanted to reiterate again before we jump in. It's always um. important
0: to reiterate.
1: <laughs> it makes our peoples happy. So I think a lot of people have heard about American Funds. They're one of the more storied and they're investment a managers. A great company. Great, great company. Managers,
0: like, but for tax, it's growth yeah. and advantage. Like, mm, it's a different
1: purpose. Yeah, they were made popular. I think you know Edward Jones used them early on. And Eduardo. Eduardo. And uh, so, anyways, American Funds has had great returns over the long term. Uh, And great for retirement type money, you know, IRA, 401k, Roth IRA, great money manager. Uh, We can leverage them today, um, you know, through RIA. So I'm not throwing them under the bus. But when you look at putting them in an after-tax account, bank money, American funds is focused on total return, which isn't a bad thing if that's what your goal is. Mm -hmm. But if your goal is to manage taxes, American funds can create really large tax liabilities in the way that they manage their funds trying to just achieve total return. And so if you're trying to mitigate taxes with an after-tax account while growing a balance, it can prove expensive in terms of of that uh, tax treatment and the capital gains that are triggered uh, from how they're managing their portfolios. So if
0: your account, like we're gonna use, I probably shouldn't use percentages, but let's say your account's up 10% in a American funds type approach, total return, you still have to pay taxes on that. So what's your actual rate of return? It's not as much as what the paper says because right. now you have to pay taxes on it.
1: Right, and they're buying and selling things throughout the year, which are triggering potential short-term and long-term capital gains. And then you'll get a statement at the end of the year saying, hey, you owe money yep. on this. And, and let's just say, let's say the last week of the year, the market, or, you know, like uh, 2018, September to Christmas, the market went down 20% in 90 days. Well, you could have had because of the way American funds invested that year, you could have had you know short-term, long-term capital gains of you know whatever three to four percent, and you at the end of the year down like you know less than what you started, and still owing tax on the money because they bought and sold stuff intra-year, and so those are the things that we're kind of talking about: is you want the total return upside of the market, but you if you could get it without paying capital gains tax or, or a limited amount. Of capital gains tax you'd potentially be in a better situation given your overall tax liability from all of your sources of income
0: so you're telling me i could have an account that i owe taxes on but it just went down four percent yeah i'll kick in your ding ding right now <laughs> so but i think that's just to clarify you absolutely can't yeah and people have yep. and so that's why it's important in these after-tax accounts. That you really know what you're doing and what you're investing in.
1: Yep. Okay. So we we leverage money managers through our RIA. So we have other people invest and manage the money. Uh, we view ourselves more as like the quarterback, and we're hiring, you know, the receiver or the uh, running back, what have you. And so, kind of wanted to talk through how these money managers are able to mitigate the tax uh, liability within these portfolios. The main one, one of the main ones, is just centralized trading and implementation. So, I mean, you're talking about companies that are managing billions of dollars. So they have teams devoted to this uh, strategy platform. And so they're able to really analyze data and manage portfolios on a daily basis, which if you're retired, you thinking about retirement, you might not be wanting to manage portfolios uh, on an actively... On an active basis and so that that is their kind of ability to centralize information and make decisions on a daily basis two uh, and the other main one is just what we call tax loss harvesting Mm -hmm. so to use an example let's just say you bought uh, coca-cola uh you know and you go buy 100 shares in your account well most people just buy and hold that strategy you're getting the dividends hopefully the stock splits and you kind of just go about your way Well, these groups that manage these tax managed platforms, they might buy Coke a hundred different times in a given year. So they could be up on 70% of their investment in Coke, and they could be down on 30% of their investment in Coke. But what that allows them to do is do what they kind of call like micro sales is they can go in almost every day and sell pieces that are down, which then can, they can sell other stocks that are up to kind of mitigate and lock in the gains that the portfolio is achieving over the long term. But by doing that, they're able to offset the capital gains uh, of the stocks that are up by recognizing the losses of the stocks that are down, uh, all the while staying along Coke, but using that uh, ability of tax loss harvesting to mitigate the capital gains tax liability within your portfolio. And if you think about that, because active management,
0: I think some people would be very adverse to that thinking and theory, especially advisors, the advisors that do it all. But at the end of the day, we've found like this for our practice is perfect because they are experts at what they do. Mm-hmm. They can be trading day. They can be doing these things on the back burner and that's all they do. Like that's what we're hiring them to do. Mm-hmm. Brian and I's job is to create the overall plan and work through different obstacles that come up every day with our clients. And there's days where I don't even look at the market once because I'm just with the clients. Now, if you're wanting me to manage your money, <laughs> first off, I, you want Brian to be managing your money. So there's better there. But you don't want us out, out about, you want us behind a computer. And what we're saying is we're not we're the yeah. best in front of our clients, not in front of computers trying to make all these trades, trying to figure out, trying to do data analysis. You can see how there's a conflict, conflict there. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we we lean on these money managers to do exactly what they've said they're gonna do and have a track record and a history of it. So yeah.
1: Cool. So another major way these companies, you know, manage the capital gains liability or tax liability within these portfolios is just um, you know understanding the age of their positions. And so if you hold something beyond 12 months, it shifts from a short-term capital gain at a higher tax rate to a lower tax rate. So they're able to manage that, uh, manage the holding period with all these different lot sizes. Like I said, if they they could own Coke in a hundred different lots or or purchases, and so each one of those is going to have its own positive or negative uh, return, it's also going to have its own uh, date that that was purchased, and so it's going to have that its own twelve-month window in terms of transferring from a short-term to a long-term holding. So they're able to manage all of this stuff on a you know daily basis to mitigate uh, your ongoing tax liability. Another major way that they're able to kind of mitigate that, and then you hear this a lot, like especially with like passive investing, you know the S and P is generating I think around like a one9 um, percent dividend yield, and so. They don't reinvest um, the stocks because that can, it basically limits them and what they're able to do from a tax management standpoint. So they would rather have the dividends pay to cash and then use those strategically to balance and manage the portfolio, uh, investing in, you know, stocks that are potentially down uh, or, you know, whatever they need to do with the tax, uh, with the cash flow of those dividends, it gives them another lever to pull to manage the overall tax liability.
0: So, yeah, I mean, you really think about this. I'm going to pull out for a second because we're getting right in In there, but I think it's good to do and we're going to keep doing it. So hang on. But if you had a hundred thousand dollars in an account and it grew 16%, let's say, so it's up to Mm $116,000, okay. With something like this, with minimal tax, tax drag, you would still, maybe to the government's eyes, you only were up four percent or three percent. Yeah. Like you're only paying tax on the three percent, but it's up 16. Like I call that magic. They call it just every day. So yeah, but I think it's kind of cool to think that versus an account that was up maybe 20 percent, but now it's got the full throttle of, you know, taxes. That's going to pull that back. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're trying to liti- like mitigate, as Brian likes to use, that tax drag in these accounts. So it really does feel like, wait, I'm up this, but I don't have to pay that. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of times, and we reference this in our kind of newest ebook on retirement income, there's different philosophies we get asked about a lot, you know, in terms of how to structure retirement income and how to structure your assets for income. And one of those is, you know, dividend paying stocks. There's a lot of research out there, you know, just buy dividend paying stocks and live off the dividends. Well, that sounds great, and I'm not saying that's not valid, but this is the account kind of doing that strategy in an after-tax account with you know the tax-managed focus um, is probably the best of both worlds. You know, not to say you have to manage all of your IRA money, your Roth money, and your after-tax money, dividend-paying stocks. Yes, but this would be a great place to have dividend-paying stocks, but then also utilize the strategies that are being employed here. Um, You know, taking the dividends in cash, uh, tax loss harvesting, uh, managing, you know, the hold period, all these different things, doing that with stocks because that, you know, stocks don't have a fee Mm -hmm. uh, like index uh, or ETF index funds do and mutual Mutual funds do. So we have a money manager that does this with individual stocks. They manage the taxes um, and you're invested in the stock. So there's no uh, internal expense of actually owning the stock. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. And we can also do that with a self-directed sleeve where, you know, if you call up and say, hey, I want to buy, you know, a stock that I like, you know, I use it all the time and it's not in my portfolio. We can just have you sleeve that into your portfolio, carve it out. So the money manager is not charging you a fee on that. And you own that stock with your other stocks in just a brokerage account. Mm-hmm. And all that money is liquid to you and available to you all the time. So it's very easy for us to manage these types of portfolios for you through these money managers and give you kind of that philosoph- philosophical approach to investing, uh, owning stocks to pay dividends, also while managing your tax liability. So these tax managed accounts are not just
0: using one strategy. They're using multiple Mm -hmm. And that's the power of all this is the synergies of all these going together to try to make your tax liability as low as possible Mm -hmm. at the end of the year.
1: And then managing your risk tolerance within all of that. So, you know, if you're more conservative, you want this to be more bank money. You don't want your roller coaster to be too up and down. We can dial back your risk. And if you want to stay aggressive, you got really ample liquidity, great cash flow. You want to continue to take risk, we can dial up your risk and, and have you more equity driven in the market. And so all that's professionally managed. It's, it's actually really cool. And we're super excited about it. That's why we want to do a podcast on this topic in general, because I think as you age, and you've talked about this a lot with our clients, Philip, is as you age, it's the thought process that you should take less risk. But when you think about it, especially if you have two social security payments, a pension, and you got you know hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars, you should actually probably be taking more risk, uh, or you could handle more risk as part of an overall plan. And so, um, these are strategies that we think as you age, you're going to want tax protection because a large part of people, you know, they have a huge 401k balance, they're taking a predominant share of their needed income from a 401k, which is all taxable. A lot of people are just realizing as they start social security or they get set up for it, that in large part, over 70% of your social security payment is taxable for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you really don't have a lot of tax protection. Your house is paid off. Uh, you know, unless you're giving a lot of money away to charity or property taxes, state income taxes, that type of thing. There's just not a lot of tax protection, especially if your kids are grown, you're not contributing to college funds. You're not working. You're not contributing to, you know, IRAs. There's not a lot you can do to hide from taxes in retirement. So this is a great strategy to stay aggressive or to stay conservative and stay along the market. Um, have liquidity, but but not get you know crushed in taxes when you do make money. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I think too. I just want to clarify. We love retirement accounts for the taxed. Portion. Like, if you're getting absolutely killed with taxes because cash flow is so strong, let's use the 401k as a tax deduction, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not necessarily to build wealth. And if you really think about that, that is a complete mind shift. Yeah. Like, I'm using my 401k for tax, like hiding taxes mm-hmm. uh, and take some of the tax burden off of me, versus I think 99.9% of the country is using it for a wealth creation. Yeah. And they have no idea. What's going on in there? What account should I put it in? If that sounds like you, I'm talking straight to you because you need to be working on something that you're actually excited about outside of the 401k. Yeah, because I we hear it all the time. Come to us like, what's retirement going to be like? Well, it's going to be like this, this, that, and the other, and they have a very clear picture of retirement's going to be like. We ask them, well, what's your life look like now? And there's a complete chasm. (laughs) It's like, hmm, I'm challenging you on that. Like, don't wait until this age. Start that now to see if you really like it. And so that really has implications all over the spectrum. I would say from college, high school kids, all the way up to 70 year olds, like, what is it that you are made to do and how can you do this quicker? And Mm -hmm. for the college kid or the high school kid, I'd be like, who's, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I want to be a lawyer. Well, who's your mentor in that field? Have you ever job shouted anybody from that? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just going to classes for it. It's a scary place to be and you can see how you can lose a lot of money quickly uh, versus having a mentor be like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I want to do. That class that I'm taking is not my favorite, but it's a means to an end. I'm going to go do that. Anyway, so it's just a mindset, but there's this this kind of account really helps you uh, start thinking of that way. And then when it's so liquid, if something comes up and you have an opportunity to do something you absolutely love to do, let's get it. Let's get the money. Let's go out and do it. Versus I have all of my money in my retirement account and I want to adopt a kid.
1: Is it going to be tougher to get. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway. I think the visual of like a we talk about as a teeter-totter, you know, you didn't like it when you're a kid being all the way up on top uh, or all the way up, you know, down on the bottom. And so if you think about your money on the terms of a teeter-totter, you want it to be balanced. A lot of times we meet people in retirement, you know, they have over a million dollars in there. 401k, which is great, and they have like less than a hundred, hundred, two hundred thousand in the bank, and so you have a, a really wide gap between where your money's at. And so I, I think what you're saying is, instead of trying to get a hundred percent of your income out of your 401k in retirement, what if you got you know forty percent from you your go. 401k and you got twenty percent from an account like this, and you got twenty or thirty percent from rental properties, and then you got you know your social security and and, and or pension having a better balance of where that money's coming from is is potentially better diversification than having it all in yeah. a retirement account um, and really not having a lot of decisions to make on that retirement account. Because once you hit 70 and a half, uh, actually it just got pushed back with the Secure Act. Now I think it's 72, um, but you got to start taking required minimum distributions. And so your control of that account starts to actually diminish uh, the bigger it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're just trying to be mindful of and help people see A different picture of how to build build wealth and and the registrations and tax consequences of each of these types of accounts.
0: Totally. And all of this is valid. Like I love that we're advisors that understand each type of philosophy and why it was put in place. Can't tell you how valuable that is. Versus an advisor that says, No, this is exactly how to do it. This is the only way to do it. This is this. Like, do you even know any other strategies? Like Mm -hmm. and do you understand why those strategies were put in place? Yeah, Um, I
1: think what you're referencing is if you listen to our uh, podcast on retirement income or read our ebook on retirement income, kind of walk through the four to five main philosophies that people are using for retirement income as it relates to the stock market investing, and structuring your investments. So um, there's really only about four or five and we kind of break down each one of those and then how each of them could apply based on the uh, registration of the accounts and where you're storing your money. Which I think is kind of helpful because it's like yes. you don't want to feel like I have to do only one of these with all my accounts. Kind of wanna pick and choose. Um, maybe leverage two or three of them. And when you look at the actual registrations of where your money is stored, again, we're talking about Roth IRA or uh self-directed IRA or like an after tax account. Um, it actually probably makes sense to leverage two or three of them mm-hmm. based on the registrations uh and the balances within each of those accounts. Mm-hmm. So
0: Yeah. I want to go, I I think we're going all over the place. So hang with us. But diversification, like think about true diversification. Is it the person that's just taking their income out of their 401k and social security? Or is it the person that you just referenced that has some out of an after-tax account, some out of the 401k, some out of a rental property, some out of like, that seems to be true diversification versus like, yeah, I'm diversified in my account, in my 401k. Like, no, it's all tied to the stock market. Base, right. you know? And so true diversification to us really does mean outside of the portfolio of your invest, investment stocks and bonds yeah. and mutual funds. So.
1: so kind of the last point with these um, tax managed accounts, when you look at the average expenses and tax drag that people are paying, you know, in like large cap equity funds or small cap equity funds, different types of portfolios that you could find your money kind of back to that American funds um, discussion at the beginning you know, the average mutual fund um, not geared to be tax managed in the United States, you're going to be paying fees or taxes, excuse me, somewhere between one and 2% tax drag on the account. So kind of like you were saying, if you made 16%, you're really not making that in an after-tax account because you could have a tax drag of, you know, one to two, almost upwards of 3% in some cases. And so in that, it's like, if you could get a similar return, say 12 to 14%, but have almost no tax drag, you might actually have a better overall return when you think about all of your income, not Mm -hmm. just this one account. And so that's where you got to work with your tax accountant and your advisor to see uh, if these accounts make sense uh, over time. We think that they do. uh, And then to have them professionally managed, uh, depending on your risk tolerance and depending on kind of how you want to structure things, uh, we can find a really good fit for your overall plan. Love it. So.
0: Okay, so I hope this kind of gives you a little bit of a glimpse of the way that we think and what's important, and we think should be a priority in your life. You are your best asset, and you need to put accounts up in your, I'd say, overall plan that help you balances, I think is the word balance and yeah. leverage your true asset, which is you. So thank you for listening. yeah. Uh, we have so much more content we're excited to give you uh, that if you could do us a favor, like, and subscribe to this podcast, it allows us to reach more people. It would be a huge blessing to us. And we do read the comments. They're absolutely awesome. Makes our day. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into this thing and we hope that it shows and we hope that you're getting a lot of value out of this. So final thoughts,
1: B dog. No, I just think this is something that you, if you have questions on, please reach out to us. Uh, you can schedule a free, uh, 15 minute call through our website, uncommonwealth.com. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to talk to you and see how this fits into your overall plan. And, uh, I think you're going to be hearing more about this. Um, just, you know, obviously with politics and mm. people's tax, uh, plans, and we're going to see what, uh, November looks like, but yeah, I think this is a interesting thing for a lot of people. Cool. Well, you've been listening to Uncommon Life Project. Thank you for listening.
0: I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. Tune in next, uh, two weeks. We'll have another one for you.
1: Thanks, Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.
0: That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring
1: people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.